It's really good to be with y'all today. Um, I appreciated the question that you started with, who, who struggles with it. It's a very personal topic to me today. And I hope to even in my time here this morning just, just share a little from my own life as well. Um, I liked also the question, is it in your Bible? Just this morning I was uh, reading at Psalm 54 and it never mentions fear. It never mentions anxiety, but, but it, what it does do is it gives us context that uh, King Saul had just been notified that David might be among them. Uh, and we know the story about what Saul wanted to do with David. And in verse 4, so, so David's capturing his experience about people. Strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. And then the next verse, verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. And that's the challenge that we're capturing with fear and anxiety, right? We struggle in the midst of fear and anxiety to believe that God is my helper. That's one of the reasons control is so powerful in the midst of anxiety because we, we, we think that we have to be in control. We think that we have to be our own helper uh, and we do all sorts of things in the midst of that. So that's what we're going to be looking at this, this morning is what does it actually look like? What does it mean You'll see the title is moving through the experience of anxiety. I think that's really intentional to say that because how do we, how do we not seek to control? How do we not seek to avoid or escape? But how do we seek to move through our fear and anxiety? You know, is anxiety in our Bible? Has the been with some of you before, and we've raised this question. The number one quoted command in Scripture is what? Fear not or some, some variation of that, right? What does that tell us? It tells us that the Lord knows we're fearful people. The Lord knows we struggle. And he gives us good reasons to trust him in the midst of our fear. So again, we'll be, we'll be talking about that. I mentioned it's very personal to me. So I'm a I'm a lifetime North Carolinian with a brief pit stop in Philadelphia. Any, any Philadelphians here? Anybody lived in Philadelphia? Okay, we've got a few. We've got a few. Who loves Philadelphia here? We got one. Uh, there were several. What well, two? My wife as well, she said what? So there were many hands, but only two say they loved it. I, um, I would not have raised my hand to the second one either. I, uh, I didn't quite uh, fit in Philly, but I was from North Carolina, and some of the first time I started experiencing my own life, how much fear and anxiety was an issue for me was early 2010, about six months before I had moved up to Philadelphia to go to seminary. Um, I, I struggled with fear and anxiety most of my life, but I don't think I could have captured that. But I was meeting with uh, one of the elders from my church. We were just getting together on a weekly basis, just talking about life and things like things that were going on. And one of the exercises we worked through together was he asked me a question like, what are your most besetting sins? And over the next five, 10 minutes, I kind of hemmed and hawed and couldn't really tell him what my most besetting sins were. And I'd say something like, yeah, I don't really think just knowing you that's really yours or whatever. But he said something to me. He said, if you can't identify what your besetting sins are, you're, you're just playing into the en- enemy's hands uh, because he's just going to keep relentlessly attacking those places over and over. And if you're not even aware of what those things are, then, then how, do you, how do you do battle before the Lord with those? So he just said, you know, I think you pray about it and just start observing life and, and what happens. And so it's 2010, early January. I, I worked for a small Christian nonprofit uh, 
if you'll remember, fall of 2008 had a significant market crash, uh, one of the worst financial crises in, in a generation or two. And usually in the nonprofit world, things start to catch up uh, about a year after a market crash like that in terms of giving and, and underwriting. And I came in the first day of the new year in 2010, and my boss and I just had to sit down and have just a freight conversation. We were small. We were only three people in our organization. He said, I, Wes, I don't think we have the money to keep your position. So that was a Monday. Um, we had, didn't know what that was all going to mean, but that's how the week started. That's how the new year started. Wednesday of that week, it was a very unseasonably cold week in North Carolina. The temperatures didn't get out of the teens for much of the week. And I woke up on Wednesday morning, and my house was freezing cold and went downstairs. There was the thermostat was completely off, uh, and it was about an $800 repair on my furnace. Um, Friday, I took my car in for a routine check, um, and I walked out with uh, about $650 worth of, worth of things having to be done to the car. So... I don't know how you would deal with that week. Uh, I know how I dealt with that week. Uh, you know, may lose my job and, you know, 1500 or so dollars worth of expenses coming out of my pocket when I have to start thinking about my finances. And I was just anxious all week long. And um, I can remember driving to church that Sunday and I was, I can, I can remember where I was sitting in my car to this day because it was so pivotal for me. I was sitting there and Colossians 1 came to mind, and it's that part where it's, it's talking about um, Christ and that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, um, all things were created um, by him and through him, and he is before all things. And then it was this verse that caught, caught my heart that morning, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. I could not keep together my quarter acre plot of life. <laughs> I couldn't control my furnace. I couldn't control my job. I can't control my car. I couldn't control things. And yet in him, all things hold together. And there was a turning to him in faith and said, okay, I can trust you. But as the, as the months went on, I eventually decided that uh, God was leading me to go to seminary. So I put my house on the market. Again, context of, of the times, right? Housing crisis. Um, so I'm going to sell my house. I was single at the time. I wasn't married. Uh, then the questions come, am I going to be able to sell my house? Uh, well, God, God provided a buyer in five days for my house, um, which was a God thing at that time, right? It, it was not normal for that to be happening at that season of time. So I get the, get the offer, agree to the offer, all those things, and then I spent the next 30 days freaking out, what if something falls through with the sale? And... Then the inspection report comes back, and well, what if I don't agree to all, you know, all these things going on, and, and then the sale goes through, I, I sell my house, and, and then I'm like, well, where am I going to live when I get to Philadelphia? And I start thinking about that, and then God provides a place for me to live in Philadelphia. It was a great place. It ended up being a great solution for me, and then I'm getting ready to move up there, and who are my friends going to be? Is it, am I going to get connected up here? Where's my church? It's like all these, it's like every single time God provided I started figuring out what else I could freak out about in my life. And I don't know if your anxiety is like that at all, or just it's, it's I kept like looking for things to worry about. And it was actually right around that time that I was like, you know, that exercise I was doing earlier in this year with Rick, there it is. Fear and anxiety is just a besetting 
It's a, it's a besetting sin. At least what I do with my fear and anxiety was a besetting sin because I would ruminate on it. I would seek to control it. I, would just, I, I, I had a hard time just letting it go to the Lord. Um, and again, every single time God did something to provide, I started, and he had provided so many things, but I started, I started freaking out about what was next in front of me and will he do it again? Will he provide again? So it didn't matter how much he had done. It, it was, I was struggled to to trust him and then got married and we started having kids pretty much right away we've got three small kids five four and almost two at home and that's just that's just put them right there before me it's it's I'm reminded every single day that uh, I, I can't quite quote the what you just quoted there but it's a realization that I'm not God and there are things beyond my control and that is really hard for me um, it's really, really hard for me. And yet, by recognizing and seeing what the Lord does in my own life and how, how I have to learn to move through that in trust uh, have, has given me ways to actually, actually grow and to not be so anxious. And when I am anxious, where do I go with that? And that's really the question that's before us through everything we're going to be doing this morning. It's, it's when I am afraid, what do we do? What do you do? What do I do? I think of Psalm 56, David, again, it's another one of these situations where he's, I, I think in that psalm, he is captured by the Philistines. And, and, and when David is writing this, he's fearing for his life, but his words are, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And again, that's going to be like, what does it look when, when and, and that's a question for you to hold out there as we wrestle with these things this morning. When I am afraid, I fill in the blank. Because what we want to be able to grow in is to be able to say with David and with the saints, when I'm afraid, not if, but when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. But what does that look like? And that's, that's where we're trying to go this morning. One key thing as we talk about these things, you know, if you've ever shared, I don't know, how, have any of you ever had this experience with your fear and anxiety when you share, share with somebody I'm worried about this. Uh, maybe it's an interview you have coming up, or maybe it's a significant health appointment you have coming up, and you're about to go there, and I'm, I'm just, I'm worried. And, and the words, the next words are, just do something. Just pray. Just trust. Anybody ever had that experience where someone just says, I've, I've seen some hands there. Yeah, it's, it's, what comes out is just do this. Well, that, we really want to resist that, right? Even in our own lives, because if it was just a matter of just doing whatever, we wouldn't be fearful and anxious, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the challenges. Um, I watched a video recently, uh, it's several, it's probably 20, 25 years old now, and, and was on Mad TV, I think, but Bob Newhart is the main character, and, and kind of riffing off his, uh, when Newhart, he was a psychiatrist in that show, is that right? What, so I think it was riffing off that character, and this lady walks in, and she's probably in her 30s, and she says she needs to have the appointment with him, and he says, well, my rate is, is $5 for five minutes, and she says, well, uh, I might need longer than that, and he says, I don't, I don't think you will. And so she sits down, and, and the first thing she says is she says, I, I am afraid of being buried alive in a box. And he, he says, okay. He says, I've got two words for you. Um, and she said, okay. And she goes, takes out a pen to write it down. She's like, I don't think you need to write it down. <laughs> and, she, she's, and he says, stop it. <laughs> and she's like, that's it? And he's like, yeah, that, that's it. Stop it. And... She says, but what about, he said, just stop it. 
And then she said, well, don't you want to know like about my, my upbringing and my, my, no, no, we don't go there. Just stop it. <laughs> and they have this dialogue and after about three minutes, he goes, well, it's been about three minutes, you know, do you? and she's like, well, if I have five, I at least want to stay here. And she, she keeps going with it, but he keeps returning to stop it. And then she tries to actually get, get on his angry side or, or pick, pick and poke at him. And then towards the very end, he's getting really frustrated at her. And he says, okay, I tell you what. He says, I, I, I think this is going to be the most helpful thing for you. And he said, I'm going to give you 10 words. And, and you might want to write this one down. So again, she takes out her pad and she's going to write it. And he looks at her and he says, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, it's a great scene. You could, you could YouTube it. It's really, it's really quite funny. Um, we don't want to have this faith that's like, just stop it, right? Because we, we know these things intellectually. All of us in, in here probably could quote verses right now about not being afraid, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. We're going to look at that verse in here in just a little while. But how do we do that? What does it look like? Um, and so that's what we're after. I even think about God's commands to not be fearful. Luke 12, it's, it's Luke's version of like the Sermon on the Mountain, and Jesus is teaching there, and there's this place that Jesus is talking about how God provides for you. You don't have to be anxious. Look at the lilies. Look at the birds. Look at all these things. And then later on, Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Even those words. Fear not, little flock. You are my people. I'm with you. So I don't think God just like, come on, guys. Buck up. White knuckle it. John Wayne. We were using those phrases. I think God is saying, this is who I am, and I know you're fearful people, which is why I put that in the scripture so much, but I'm, I'm with you. It's a tender, loving reminder from our Heavenly Father that he is with us. He's near to us in the midst of the fear, and he's faithful to us. Why do we deal with so much fear and anxiety? Just a couple ideas. Why do you, why do you think fear and anxiety is so prevalent? Okay, we're self-centered. Okay. We want to control. Okay. Mm -hmm. We want to control it. Lack of trust. There are things to be afraid of. Okay. Good. Yeah. Right. There are there are things. All these things are true, right? The others, but we have good reasons to be afraid. Right. We live in a world that's beyond our control. And there are scary things that can happen. One of my seminary professors, uh, David Pallison, some of y'all know, know of him, he says, given the world in which we live, we have good reasons to fear. And we fear things that are precious to us, right? We fear our health. We fear for our kids' health. We fear for our parents. We fear for our financial security. And the more precious it is to you, the more, the more vulnerable it is. So we have good reasons to fear. But Dr. Powelson goes on to say, given the God we serve, we have even better reasons to trust. So we do have things to fear. What do we know about our fears and anxieties? Well, one is you know, fear and anxiety. There, there, are some, there are some sins that and struggles. I don't, I don't want to always call, Dr. Welch, actually, I don't know if any of y'all saw it this week, if you follow CCEF's 
blog. He actually wrote a blog this week, and the question was, is fear and anxiety sinful? Anybody see that? This is it's fascinating to, to read and what he's arguing about that. Uh, I think there's, there's an experience of fear and anxiety that fear can come upon us. Right? We don't choose necessarily to be fearful and anxious. Now, I think we can choose what we do with it. I think we can choose whether to stay there, but I think there is an experience about fear and anxiety. You know, when I'm in a conflict with my wife, I choose to be angry. I choose to say unkind things, but there's an element of fear and anxiety that I'm, I'm in the moment, I'm fearful and I'm anxious, and it seems to come upon us. But what do we do with that? How do we, how do we move through that? We've mentioned a couple things here. You know, what we tend to do, control, escape, white-knuckling, just moving through it on our own, just thinking, I've just got to get through this. But how do we do something different? Something I've, I've observed in my own life, something I observe in counseling. And I would actually say in counseling, I don't know if it's half, but it feels like half of, of people who come to our counseling center come because of ang- something, anxiety, OCD, struggles, and, and maybe even related struggles to that, but, but anxiety seems to play a pretty big role. But the more we actually try to control it, or escape it, or whatever, the more it actually seems to take root. Um, the more we do in our, on our own strength, the more we try to live without trusting, without turning to the Lord, without doing something different, it just seems to just grow and expand. And so we might get to the other side of that particular one and feel like, okay, I'm okay, but the more room we give it, the more fearful and anxious we become. Because again, I, I go back to, to Bo's comment that we, there's a lot of things to be afraid of. And if I don't actually learn to do something different in that I'm going to face something tomorrow or next month or next year that's going to to have the tendency to produce fear and anxiety in me. And so how do we not focus on the thing that I'm fearful of or the fear and anxiety itself and turn my gaze towards something much greater, the God we serve and what he offers us in the midst of that? So over the next, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, um, during the rest of my, my time initially here, I just want to mention something that I've learned from from David Pallison, um, it's six things to consider in our fear and anxiety. How do the promises, how does the power, how does the provision, and more than anything, how does the person of our triune God help us when we are anxious and fearful? What does that actually look like? Because we want it to be as as concrete and specific as possible. Again, when I am afraid, David, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Uh, I was talking to a colleague of mine the other day, and we were talking about trust, and and one of the things, again, especially as we're talking about the anxieties, one of the questions people will ask routinely, we're talking about this in counseling, is help me to do that. And the question is kind of like, can you bottle this up for me and like give it to me to take out with me, and then I'm going to have it? And, And the challenges with trust is we can't really bottle it up. In your own life, I mean, you can think of a human relationship or human relationship. What, what causes you to trust? Experience. Mm-hmm. What else? Yeah, previous faithfulness, right? So it's experience. But there's, also this, this, there's a character in the person you trust, right? 
What else? Reliability. Yeah. Again, getting to the, to the character. So trust comes because we, we know the character. We know the faithfulness. We know the long-term nature of, of that person. And I, I think that's what, we're, that's what we're after this morning, too, is like, who is this God that we serve? Why can I trust him? Who is he? And why is he trustworthy? If my world is beyond my control, if there's a lot to be fearful and anxious of, I need to get that quote from you because that quote really captures it, right? It's, it's because I, I'm not God, and yet I'm trying to be God in those moments, too. So, so who is this God? How do we actually do that? How do we grow in, in who he is? So if the question is, when I am afraid, I put my trust in blank, but what we want to do is, I put my trust in you, Lord. What does that look like to move through our anxieties? So number one, how do you know you're anxious? In your own life, what are ways you can tell you're fearful and anxious? Okay, good. Ruminating thoughts. Yeah. That's a big one for me, too. What else? Mm -hmm. Heart palpitations. Physiological responses, right? You can feel your heartbeat or you're shaking. You're short of breath. Good. Irritable. Yeah, that's another one that I, I can definitely relate to. Lack of appetite. Don't feel like eating. Can't eat. Or eating, okay. I find myself eating a lot, right? I've got, I, I could tell I'm, I'm, something's going on here. There was something over here I couldn't quite hear. Sleepless. Sleeplessness, yeah. I'm up all night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel about the what ifs. And interestingly, fear and anxiety is a false prophet, right? Fear and anxiety lives in a world of, I can see the future, and the future is bad. It's bleak, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be fearful and anxious, right? If I could see the future and the future's great, there's nothing to be fearful of, right? But I'm fear, fear and anxiety lives in, the, in light of, uh, of seeing it and, and it's gonna be bad. These are all great. And so one of the things we wanna do is we just want to, each of us in here probably has a combination of some of these things, but identify how do you know when you are fearful and anxious? Sometimes it's really obvious, but sometimes it might not be so. I, I appreciate even the eating. It's like all of a sudden it's like, why am I eating so much? What's going on in my heart? What's, what's going on around me? How do I do? Or sleepless, you know, is my sleeplessness because of, because of something's on my mind? Is my sleeplessness because I'm, I'm ruminating on thoughts? Is my, my sleeplessness because something else? And so we want, to, we want to be able to identify ways we know we're anxious. Two, Name specific reasons to trust. Be able to name specific reasons to trust. Again, think about that statement. Given the world in which we live, we have good reasons to fear. But given the God we serve, we have even better reasons to trust. This is, this is one of the key places the battle of fear and anxiety is, is fought. And this response is distinctively Christian. Think about that. It's, it's distinctively Christian. There are other tools and there are other things we can go out there that can be helpful. Um, medications can be helpful. 
oftentimes it's the it's the class of meds that that often fall with with depression to treated to treat depression the SSRIs it's not a terrible option it's actually helpful to people It actually carves out space to deal with some of the other things uh, but when when a therapy only focuses on body right so I'm gonna give you something and it's it's going to it's gonna work on on your chemistry it's gonna help you um, there are still things to be fearful of out there. And so is it just a body response? So things that are solely focused on the body, medicines, exercise, even counseling, if counseling isn't getting at, getting at other things too, um, can be just incomplete, I would say. It's not bad, but it's just incomplete because again, the, the goal in the Lord, you look at every time he talks about not being anxious, he gives us reasons to trust him. Right, most of the time, fear not, for I am with you. Right? Not fear not because what you're facing isn't scary, but you can trust because I am with you. So we want to have specific reasons to trust in the Lord in the midst of our fears and anxieties and in the midst of other tools that we have that could be helpful for us. Exercise is a good thing for fear and anxiety. It's great. But how do we grow in trusting the Lord. And a question we can ask ourselves here is, who is God for you related to this particular struggle? And there's so many places that you could go, but, but one of the good things for you to do is as you, as you read your Bible, as you listen to sermons, as you see places where these promises of God for you are just like, oh, that, that's who God is. Uh, develop, just to develop a, you know, a whatever you want to call it, a, a, a toolbox, a, a cadre of, of these scriptural promises for you that it's like, when, I, when I'm afraid, how will I remind myself? How will I ask other people to remind me of God's promises to me, of his power and of his person? Again, there's lots of places you can go. I mean, some of the ones that have been particularly helpful for me, Psalm 56, I've already mentioned it. Um, it's, it's literally in the context of threats coming at David. And over and over again, it's... I trust, <clears throat> I trust in you. Psalm 130 talks about how we hope in God's word. But why do we hope in his word? Because his word is true. His word is powerful. I was recently uh, talking to somebody who is going to start counseling at our counseling center, and we were, we were working through a, a case study on fear and anxiety. And, and one of the questions was, like, what scripture for you, like, actually helps this it's always a fascinating question because you never know what scripture it's going to be and that that would that helps in your own fears and anxiety that you would you would encourage this this particular person with and it was it was jesus when he walked on the water and peter eventually comes out too on the water too but there's a phrase that jesus uses that i think he's like says fear not for it is i like even that, I thought that was such a beautiful way of saying it. It's like, well, it's like, why not be afraid? Well, you see this thing that looks like a ghost walking on the water, but it's, it's it, like, don't be afraid. It's, it's me. It's Jesus. And you can trust me because you know me. So for you, where, where is it that, and, and you probably already have them, but, but what are the reasons to trust in who God is for you? And I think of, of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you know, do you not know that your heavenly father knows that you need these things before you ask him? What another beautiful promise. He already knows. And I can trust him. 
So name specific reasons to trust. Three, what concerns you? Name your real troubles. What is it that you're actually thinking about in the middle of the night? The, the thing with fear and anxiety, and I think you all can relate to this, is it feels like a million things going on in my mind. That's the experience of it. It's, and I could even think the, those, I don't know if y'all have, anybody have those 3 a.m. fears that you wake up and like the things you're thinking about? It's like, why does that happen in the middle of the night? It's like the most bizarre things that I'm afraid of or the most severe things that I'm afraid of. And it always happens in the middle. It's in, during the daytime. I have fears and anxieties during the daytime, but they just seem so much more intense in the middle of the night. But I can like hop from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. But what is it that actually troubles you? It feels like an infinite list, but it's probably really finite. Feels like 10,000 things, it's probably three things that you're thinking about in 10,000 different ways, you know? You know, I think about my kids. It's like I, I could come up with, I could come up with 10,000 things that I'm fearful of for my kids, right? But what is it ultimately? Like I, f I fear that they're going to be okay, that they're going to be safe, that God's going to take care of them. It's like if we can boil down to what actually concerns us, like what is it that I'm actually afraid of right now? Um, for me, you know, we talk about things that, that, that cause fear for me, especially being in, in Christian ministry, like provision, financial provision is just always something that's on, on my heart and mind, and I can get pretty twisted over, is, is there going to be enough? Is there going to be enough in our ministry? Is there going to be enough in our family? Um, but it can display itself in so many different ways, but how do I actually just slow down and say, okay, the what I'm really fearful of is, will he provide? Will he provide? Just this week, I was, I was, you know, I read that psalm that talks about him owning a cattle on a thousand hills. And it's like, again, it's this reminder, if that's who this God is, that it's all his, then I, I really can trust him to provide for me. But, but name, uh, name your concerns. What actually concerns you in your fears and anxieties? So, um, one, how do you know you're anxious? Two, name specific reasons to trust. Three, what concerns you? Four, what hijacks your heart? And this is usually some kind of functional unbelief. Again, I see the future and the future's bad, right? That's, a, that's living out of a belief that like I, I automatically know what's going to happen here. I have this, I have this scenario where when my, uh, like my board chairman and I, we, we meet somewhat regularly for meals, but I'll, I'll get a text from him and be like, hey, can you meet tomorrow? I really need to talk to you about something. And it's like my mind just goes to like the, all these things that could be bad. It's like immediately, and like my heart's racing, and I'm like, well, can you tell me what it's about? You know, it's like, why can't I, it, like, and he's a good friend of mine, and it's like, why can't I, why can't I try, you know, in those moments? And yet my heart gets hijacked because I see the future, and the future's bad. I see the conversation, and it's going to be bad. Perhaps it's God won't come through. He's not going to be faithful to his promises. Or will he be faithful to his promises? Or I'm not sure he's going to be faithful. Unbelief could be, I mean, we talk about control. Functional unbelief is that I can control my world. It's functional unbelief because we can't. We can't. So what hijacks your heart? What, where does your heart go? What are you actually believing in? And in many ways, again, when, when we use that phrase, 
when I am afraid, I trust. And ultimately, the struggle to when we live in our fears and anxieties is, is that we trust in ourselves in some way, shape, or form to be able to move through that. We trust in my ability to get through this. My wisdom, my... I was talking to someone recently in a conversation, and he just was sharing that, you know, every day I ask my wife, just, just tell me today's going to be okay. And he said, I just need her to tell me it's going to be okay. And he knows. Like, she can say that, but she can't guarantee that because we don't know. But it's this belief that, like, somebody outside of the Lord can actually give me assurances. Um, so what hijacks your heart? Five, have the conversation with the Lord. So if we have reasons to trust, what does it actually look like to have the conversation? There's that passage in Philippians 4, 6. Uh, he talks about, y'all know this, be anxious for nothing, but, by every, but in everything, and then what does he say? By prayer and supplication. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to quote Dr. Powson here again. He says, like, what, what does that mean by prayer and supplication? Supplication is one of those big I-O-N words in our Bible. He says that means to ask and to really ask, to pray and to really pray, um, that we turn to the Lord and we have the conversation with him. I am fearful of this. You have promised this. Would you help me to believe that that's true right now? I am fearful that I am all alone to figure this out. You have promised that you are with me. Would you help me to believe that right now? You know that what I read out of Psalm 54, for me, it's like, God, would you help me to remember that you are my helper? I don't have to flail about down here trying to make it all work. You are my helper. It's having the honest conversation, and I love I love that quote by Pallison that we have good reasons to fear because it, it's, it's reasonable to the, with the Lord to say, like, I'm fearful of this. I'm afraid of this. I'm going into the doctor this week, and I don't know what he's going to say. I'm afraid. And he may give me bad news. But God, help me to know you are good, and you love me, and you care for me. And I can trust you, but help me to trust you. And for some of you, depending on where the fear and anxiety is, faith for you could just look like 10,000 times a day saying, Lord, help me to trust this. That could be faith. I'm struggling to believe this. Help me believe. And we want to have the conversation with the living God who cares for you. Um, you know, what is, what is the other verse? Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Right? So we have this honest conversation with him. And even going back to the Philippians 4 passage, it actually begins, before it says be, anx be anxious for nothing, it actually begins, the Lord is near. Semicolon, be anxious for nothing. So how do we have that conversation with the Lord? It's help, Lord. I really need help right now. This is scary. But you are good. And I'll just add even too, I think one of the ways we grow in this too is our, I think we, um, we need to distinguish between uh, promises and not promises of God. What he has promised us in those things versus what he hasn't. He hasn't promised me 
that on this side of eternity, my health is going to be great. This is scary for me to say he hasn't promised me that my kids are always going to be safe. I mean, I, can, I, I don't think about it often, but there, there have been probably, I could count on one hand the number of days I've thought about what if something happens at my child's preschool today? It was something we didn't, th- I, I never thought about that going to school when I was a kid. But I look at today's day and age and, and you never know. And it seems to happen out of nowhere, but he hasn't promised me that. He hasn't promised me that I won't ever lose my job or go through financial hardship. You know, the list can go on and on what he hasn't promised us. But I think sometimes, and I think as Western Christians, I think this can especially be hard for us. Sometimes we think what he has promised me is a relatively easy life without a lot of challenges or a healthcare system that can solve all my health problems. But he hasn't promised us those things. He gives them at times, as good gifts, but he hasn't promised us. I mean, I, I think of Jesus. What did Jesus tell us? What he did promise was, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he also promised, but I leave you my peace, right? And my peace I give you. That's right. My peace I give you. And so we, we want to just distinguish, even as we have the conversation, even as we have a distinctively Christian response, what is it that he has promised and what is it that he hasn't promised? I I, uh, I love my dad. Um, my dad's a Christian, but when I'll share something that's really hard for our family, an illness with a child or something going on with my, or my wife's health, like his first response is, well, just pray about it. It's going to be okay. I believe it's going to be okay, but it might be okay in, in glory. And I don't think that's necessarily what he's getting at, right? It's just like it's going to be okay, but how do, we not, how do we not project onto our situations, things that we don't know if it's going to turn out, but we do know he's good. We do know he loves us. We do know there will be a day where there will be nothing to be fearful about ever again, but we're not there yet. So how do we hold on to those, to those promises? So promises and not promises. What hasn't he promised me and what has he promised me in the midst of that? And then lastly... Number six, and I love this one. Fear and anxiety, especially when it starts to go out of control, can really, can really captivate your life. Sometimes for a season, sometimes for a moment, but number six, in faith and in relationship with the living God, do what needs doing today. Anxiety feels like there's a thousand things coming at you, and there probably are, but God might have called you to two or three of them today. And so what do we, what's on my list today, Lord? I need to love my wife and kids. I need to pick up the cleaning. I need to cook dinner. I need to go to work. And that's about it. Help me to do those things in faith today. Help me to do them. And, and you know, I, I think Jesus meant it when he said sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <laughs> you know, tomorrow we will have new concerns. But how do we live in how do we live in today? But I think that takes a lot of faith to live in today because there's a lot that tomorrow is going to bring, and, I, and we know that. But in faith, it's like, what is he calling me to do today? Who are the people I'm supposed to love? What are the tasks I'm supposed to accomplish? And Lord, how do I do that in relationship with the living God? So just to summarize what this is getting at again, too, is that we we don't want to escape. We don't want to just avoid, and we don't want to control, but we want to actually we actually want to recognize what we're fearful of, and in faith, we want to actually be able to move through that 
And we'll talk about this some as the morning goes along, even when it's really uncomfortable to do that because he's with us, because he's promised good things, because he will enable us to do that, and because we're ultimately not on our own. Let me pray for us. God, we, we need your help to do this. It's hard. And there are infinite number of things for us to be fearful of. So we need your help. You are good. You care for us. And that's a promise. Help us to believe that. And help us wait in faith for the day when we will never have to worry about something again because we will be with you. But that day's not here, and until that day comes, there is a broken world around us that has been made new and is being made new, but it's not fully made new. And so we want to trust you and live in faith. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.